Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody And I make the beat, don't know where it'll take me, take me Cause when I'm in the dark of night I sing my way back to the light Come along with me and your heart will see That a song changes everything Friends, welcome to Arts for the Health of It, presented by Hearts Need Art. I am your host, Richard Wilmore. And I'm your co-host, Constanza Rader. In this episode, uh, the title is Coping with Cancer Under 40 with Rob Shaver. And I'm so excited for you guys to meet Rob Shaver. I've known this guy for years, uh, and he's a fellow AYA cancer survivor. Um, AYA refers to adolescent and young adults cancer. So people diagnosed in their teens through um, late 30s. And Rob is a three-time, he's an overachiever, three-time <laughs> cancer survivor. And he has the most, he's one of the most He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's so inspiring. Every time I talk to him, as long as I've known him, every time I talk with him is I learn something new, his depth of wisdom and compassion and, and love for life and for people is just infectious. And he talks a lot about how important the arts and creativity have been in his resilient, like in building resilience, in coping with cancer. Um, and we work with this population population a lot, right, Richard? We work with a lot of AYAs. Yeah, wasn't he uh, one of your the first music musicians in residence that worked with you in the hospital? Correct. Yeah. So even before Heartseen Art existed, Rob and I would go and do little concerts on the oncology unit. And they were the most magical, wonderful things. He's also one of my favorite people to sing with. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this. I mean, he's amazing. Yes, I'll give you that. But also, you need to jump over to the YouTube channel of the Arts for the Health of It <laughs> podcast to see the art form that is Rob's beard. His because beard. <laughs> mine is intimidated by his <laughs> and... Um, it shrinks when his is around because it just his beard is I it's it's you what all you beards may, aspire to be. Yes. You may hear his beard because it is so long. There wasn't a way to position his mic so that it wouldn't rub on his beard. So you may Let's get it as to third co-host. Yes. So this me, is oh go ahead. Oh sorry, I was gonna say let me uh give you a little bit about Rob. He's a 16-year, three-time cancer survivor. His stage four was actually his initial diagnosis. He has a deep love for the outdoors and music, and he believes the role they have played in his treatment all of these years cannot be overstated. Um, and he's also he's also a pharmacist. He was also one of his um, diag one of his diagnoses was while he was in pharmacy school, and he talks about how that was. And so, anyway, he just has a, such a unique perspective. We can't wait for you to 
to hear this. Yeah, because it's like knowing, you know, as a patient, if you're just average Joe, you don't know necessarily yeah. all the words and what the medications and he, he had knew the inside all scoop, of it. Ugh. which had good and bad things. So anyway, yes. here's Rob Shaver. Um, hi, everyone, and welcome to <laughs> Arts for the Health of It, the podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wilmore. I'm here today with two amazing people, Rob Shaver, who uh, is a three-time cancer survivor. He's a dancer. He's a singer. He's uh, an actor. He's all kinds of things. Uh, before we really get into the conversation tonight with the two of you, I want to start with like a vocal exercise. I think it's super important no matter if you're a patient getting ready for a procedure, if you're a family member going into someone's room, like how you enter a room and the energy you bring is so important into any situation. And I know, Stanzi, you have a really good vocal exercise for that. And I kind of want to start that today. So we're all, we're all, there's a lot of energy going into things like this. And I, and I want to kind of help everybody. So, and no matter where you're listening or watching from, however you found us, however you're listening and why you're listening, I just want to give us all a moment to kind of pause. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, so we can all kind of start in a nice little fashion. Great. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, as a, as a singer and performer, I was able to bring some of the um, things I learned from that world into my work in hospitals. And one of the, one of the things that's so important is to regulate your central nervous system. So when adrenal, when you're nervous, when you have heightened arousal, your sympathetic nervous system is keyed up. And when that happens, um, you, your higher order thinking shuts down. Um, actually, your voice doesn't. Uh, it can affect what your voice does. Uh, it obviously affects the energy that you bring into a space. So being able to regulate the nervous system and balance out that heightened arousal by calming things down um, is really key. So um, breath is super important for singing, for regulating as well. So we'll just take a couple breaths together. Let's just, we're going to breathe in through the nose for the count of four and breathe out through the mouth for the count of 12. So we're going to lengthen that exhale and that helps to, stim to turn on the, to activate the parasympathetic, um, nervous system. So we'll just do a couple breaths like that in through your nose, out through your mouth. And in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Feel free to just soften your gaze or close your eyes, whatever feels good. One I'm more time. Driving. Please don't do that. Please don't close your eyes. Please. Breathe in. And out. Now let your breath just return to normal and what we're going to do is we're going to just do just a little sigh or a hum. Um, the vagus nerve runs actually through the vocal folds. And the vagus nerve, when you stimulate the vagus mm. nerve, it you're, you activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So just by creating sound, you actually are helping to regulate and calm yourself down. Mm. So, um, we're, so we're going to take in a breath through the nose. And on our exhale this time, we're just going to do hmm. 
and this is not about sounding good. Like it's just a hum. Anyone can do this. Apologies to Ivan who has to listen to this and edit this, all of this commotion that's about to happen. Okay, breathe in through your nose. Richard, are you humming? I am humming. Okay, See, this good. Is what happens when your boss is in the room? For you. <laughs> I'm doing the work. I promise, I'm doing the work. <laughs> are you humming with? Are you humming with vibrato? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, another thing you can do if. If that even humming feels intimidating or inaccessible, you can actually gargle water. Yeah. So you can take That's just a little bit of water. Mm -hmm. I have water here. <laughs> You're welcome, Ivan. Oh, and it just kind of mm. settles you down. Um, some of these exercises I learned from um, a music therapist, and I will link. I, I can't remember her her name off the top of my head right now, but I'll put her a link to an article that she wrote about some some more vocal exercises like this. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. So I'll look that up. Thank you for starting it off like that. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so you are both uh, cancer survivors. When at what age were you both diagnosed? I was twenty. Let's get it right. Twenty-eight, twenty, twenty-seven, and twenty-eight. Um, during that period of time, I I probably had uh, cancer a couple of years before that, but by the time I was diagnosed, I was, um, yeah, I was twenty, twenty-seven. And I was I was thirteen when I was diagnosed with um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting. A lot of things interesting, but one of the interesting things is you're both sort of lumped in what's called the AYA like mm. age group, and mm -hmm. obviously did a very different. We were diagnosed at very different times. Mm. Uh, can do either of you want to talk about like what AYA means and uh, maybe the the age range of that? A lot of people think uh, young adult is like a 24 year old, uh, but that yeah. space of adolescent, young adult cancer patients is, is a really wide range. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, um, there are, it's kind of twofold with regards to kind of how that's looked at. And obviously the age range, Constanza can talk about, Stanzi can talk about up to the age of 40 um, and whatnot. Nonetheless, I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, which is a, an adolescent bone cancer. Um, the average age for that diagnosis is 15. Um, now there is a, a small demographic, a small group that are diagnosed in their twenties. And without me going into great detail, I probably had it in my late teens. Um, we, there's still some conjecture and some understanding of how it, um, how it, um, manifests in certain people. Nonetheless, the average age is 15. So I was given, even as a 27 year old, the option of maybe being in um, a children's hospital, um, because of the protocol and, um, how they monitor the protocol and several things gave me the option. Now I was old enough that I decided to be the young person in the adult wing. <laughs> and I was like the youngest person in the adult wing as a 27 year old, but it was an adolescent cancer at least because Stanzi can speak more. And, and I know as well the, the age range that we're talking about with young adult. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so in the United States, um, AYAs, adolescent young adults in the cancer yeah. world are 15 to 39 mm. year olds. Right. Um, the UK goes down to 13. So mm. I feel like I qualify. At You're least in there. Okay. Um, but there's, uh, there's very unique challenges that this demographic faces. Um, and Rob pointed out yeah. one of them, like he was, he was an adult, but he had an adolescent cancer. He very well could have been in a children's hospital yep. and as a children's hospital, most children's hospitals aren't equipped with supportive services for teens and young adults. Um, a lot, even when I was in the hospital, even though I was a young teen, most of the supportive services that were available were geared toward young elementary school aged children. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you were, and so you were the young one in the adult, the older adult hospital. So similar yep. issue there, yep. you don't have anyone else that, that looks like you or that you can connect mm -hmm. with on a peer level. And that's a really isolating experience. Um, the other issue with this demographic is cancers tend to uh, tend to behave differently in this age group than in young pediatric and older mm -hmm. adults. And there isn't enough research done on this age group to develop specific protocols for this age group. So because of that, the prognosis of um, the mortality in this age group is hasn't made the same increase in um, survivability rates as other right. as other demographics. So there's a movement in the cancer community now to push for research, doing research on this age group and also providing targeted targeted support. So mm. you're starting to see um, like Teen Cancer for America is yep. one of the organizations that is really pushing and partnering with hospitals to create AYA units. So instead of having a pediatric unit and an adult unit, you also have this AYA unit to provide services um, to support these young adults. Cause these are people who like have young right. families who are, right. who are just, who are in the identity formation times of their lives. They go from sure. being right. totally independent to totally dependent. And it's a, it's a huge, huge blow. Yeah. And what that's you, a, not to interject, I apologize, but just to build on what you had to say. Yeah, the unique the unique variables in the life of somebody of that age is really quite interesting. You might be off of your parents' insurance uh, for the first time, or be in the the really uh, you know uh, a formulative period of so many different um, parts of your life that it really is a unique variable set that you're having to deal with. Um, that's peculiar to that little that demographic. Not even small demographic, but that large age range. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gone through it for 17 years, all of my 20s into the 40s, and I still consider myself AYA in many ways. <laughs> you are, ways. Rob. You're still. I you're think still. so. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and yeah. you even you even face issues with oh. you know AYA cancers aren't super common, mm, so right. um, there's still a significant number of them. It's not yep. that it doesn't happen, but because of that, doctors 
aren't always doing the testing needed to identify cancer in earlier stages. So mm. a lot of times AYAs that we work with in the hospital were diagnosed in an emergency room after right. spending weeks and months in and out right. of doctors trying to figure right. out what's going on with them and trying to insist that something is wrong with them. Yep. And not until it becomes a life-threatening health issue do they finally get the testing they need to be fin finally be diagnosed and receive treatment. Yeah, I was, I was you know, just an anecdotal, you know, case study of one here. I was diagnosed at stage four. Um, it's and it, we call those unicorns to some degree or um, zebras, some degree with regards to those circumstances. And oftentimes in, in this demographic, you see more zebras, um, things that are more difficult to kind of find. No doubt about it. Why do you think it's been such a neglected age range? I mean, it's such a like you're still forming who you are and it's such I mean, it's such a like precious time of your life. I mean, they're starting to obviously, like you were saying, mm. talk about it and study it. But like, yeah. what took so long? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, my, my, my personal opinion with regards to that, and I just knowing that the peers that I have or the people that I've met over the many years now, um, there just aren't that many cases. So if we look at it statistically, there are. But when you see young people or children with cancer, there's a certain we all see St. Jude's commercials quite often. And I was raised an hour from Memphis. So it's something that I saw um, fairly often. Um, and then we kind of know, especially as um, as we know, like epidemiology and with regards to cancer diagnosis, the older you get, the chances of having cancer just exponentially increase. There is a, a, a time period where the actual number of people that get diagnosed is not as great. Um, so I, you know, it was in my state where I was originally from in Arkansas with Ewing sarcoma, there were probably only five or six other people in the entire state, um, that had like the cancer I have. It's something that like literally in my case affects like one out of every million children. Um, it's not an environmental factor. Um, it's genetic and not even hereditary, but genetic. Um, so for my, in my case, and in some of those, it, it's the rarity of how often they are diagnosed. Now, there are certain uh, cancers that do that differently. But for me, at least, it's just something that you don't see much of. It's just not something that a lot of people know. I mean, a lot, not a lot of people know a 27-year-old, you know, a pharmacy student who gets diagnosed with cancer at stage four. Um, it's just not something they see that often. In the past, AYAs were lumped either into pediatric or adult. Hmm, right. And there were some landmark studies that were done that showed, again, the survivability rates across different age demographics. And they saw this huge hole in the middle where hmm. there was just this dip. Yeah where <laughs> prognosis rates weren't improving. And they're like, hey, this is actually, we really need to address this. And there were some real pioneers in the AYA movement um, that pushed for more favorable, even legislation. I mean, in, even until a few years ago, if you received a cancer diagnosis, you still had to keep paying student, your- student, student loans, student loans. Student loans, like student loans. there, was, there yeah. was nothing. And it just was this easy, like once it was brought to attention, like legislators were like, oh yeah, that's really stupid. We need to change that. Um, so some of it, a lot of it is just awareness. Like it's just, there's right. this growing awareness of this issue. Yeah, they just they just don't know it's out there. And then they gets lost. Once you like, like talk about it and talk about student loans or talk about all of those things that make sense to people like oh obviously that would be a really good difficult thing to go through at that point in your life wow i haven't thought about that i haven't thought about that group that kind of that kind of left out little demographic there yeah rob what's the art scene like in arkansas <laughs> it's so oh it's, it's what would i say it's, it's interesting as far as like um it depends on i guess the genre the niche you're wanting to get into there's some really great country music and um, bluegrass music and folk music 
Um, if you like Evanescence, Amy Lee, you know, is from Arkansas. So there's, there's things like that that are kind of interesting. And there's little pockets of different types of music. I had a, what did I say? I, would, I had an eclectic, but Costanza knows very well. I was raised an hour from Memphis. So I was definitely Memphis influenced in, in a lot of ways as well. But, but, you know, Arkansas is, Arkansas is eclectic. Let's say that. So, Stanzi has, a, of course, a, an amazing story, and if you go back to our pilot, you'll hear and learn more about her, so I don't want to, like, do that mm. whole, your whole story again. Not so, necessary. No, but, what you, like, talk a little bit about where you grew up in California and the access that you had, because, and then I want to know, like, Rob, where were you when you were first diagnosed? Were you in... Mm. Texas, like kind of the difference in how you were both cared for. Mm. So I was, I was treated at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, which I'm, is, I'm so excited to say that now has an AYA program. They didn't 20 years ago when I was diagnosed, but that's okay. <laughs> they got there eventually. Um, and, but even still being in a pediatric hospital, I, had there was a lot more supportive services with period you know there was lots of social workers there were um arts activities that we could do in the waiting room um there were support groups you know there were all these different things um that were super valuable and i it what i just thought that's what that's how we cared for people with cancer and that makes sense. We got to take care of the whole person. Right. And it wasn't until I stepped onto an adult oncology unit that I was like, Oh, it's not like that over here. Uh, <laughs> um, for me, um, I had been sick for some time and very, very, very ill. Um, without just, I mean, just being completely honest. I mean, I was, I was dying, uh, for sure. I was diagnosed stage four with, um, Mets and some really metastasis to some really dangerous places, um, I was a student, a, a, a pharmacy student in a doctorate of pharmacy program at the University of Arkansas, and I was actually diagnosed at the place that I was uh, in student at, at the hospital that I was actually a student. Um, I was rounded on by my friends, by people I knew that I went to school with. Um, I was treated at that hospital and then went into remission, came back to finish school and then diagnosed at that hospital again. Um, so I've been a student two different times at the University of Arkansas and a cancer patient in the same hospital two different times as well, which created a really unique, remarkable and, and in retrospect, and even in the time, a very uh, raw, real, wonderful environment, but one really unique um, um, for sure. What do you guys do you both remember, like the first thought or the first word that that you thought of? when you were diagnosed. Do you remember that moment? <laughs> I do, yeah. I I mean, for me, I was, I didn't have, I had no words. And really, I just had this like scream in my throat that I that couldn't get out. Hmm. How about you, Rob? Yeah, I think I was I was probably in such a state physically, I think at the time, um, at least for me, um, and this is certainly not the case for everybody, but in my situation, um, I've been diagnosed three different times. <laughs> and I think all three times, I thought, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> uh, I was in such a state, even last year, given the state that I was in, when they came back, I'd prepared my family even, um, that most likely, you know, it was going to be what it was. 
So even then at the time, it was something, at least the way I felt physically, um, now how advanced it was and what stage it was and all of that stuff. I didn't necessarily know that, but I was afraid it was going to be something serious. So, um, me, I kind of, uh, I thought, yeah, that's that's probably right. <laughs> and you were a doctor, so like you were a pharmacist yeah, going into I was in all that. I was so. in school. I was in school. I was in my second year the first time I got diagnosed. So, you know, that's a double-edged sword. And in the, and in retrospect, I'm so glad I have the knowledge and I have that, even though I don't do that any longer, um, that I had that background. Um, but yeah, um, I I knew what all my chemotherapy drugs did. I knew all the side effects. I knew that. Adrian Austin is called the red devil. I couldn't pretend that was just cherry cola, you know, up in the bag. I knew all of those things I'd rounded in those circumstances. So I knew what to expect for good and bad, you know, were you both into the arts before your diagnosis? Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I grew up in a music, I grew up in a musical family. So I, so singing and performing was always part of my, that was part of our norm as a family, yeah. but visual arts and just other forms of art making really not i was really introduced to art making by a group that provided um art therapy experiences for teens and adults with cancer mm. and that's where i really i mean that was a life-changing experience for me because it gave me it gave me a safe place to express all the mm all the unspeakable things that I couldn't even articulate and didn't always feel safe to express to other people for fear of them freaking out that <laughs> I was feeling those dark mm. stuff, all that dark stuff. Mm. But the, can the canvas didn't judge me. I could just pour everything in there. And then once mm. it was externalized, I could then transform it and take control back and create something beautiful from it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had always been in the arts kind of like Costanza from um, the musical standpoint and like vocal performance and, you know, playing music. I think the visual thing, which is, I don't know if I've ever even shared this with Stanzi before. Um, there at different points along my own cancer journey, there have been different parts of the arts that have resonated differently with me. One of the ones that's real interesting and so interesting because it's how she and I met the second time that I got diagnosed and went through chemo and radiation back in 2011 and 2012 that was when Les Miserables, the 25th anniversary, had just come out the previous year. And basically all I did as I went through treatment was lay in my bed in the back of my room and listen to the 25th anniversary of Les Mis over and over again, thinking I would be a great Valjean, which is still, yeah, of course. still, which is still, still quite true. true. Still quite true. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Nonetheless, I, I listened to it all the time uh, for what it brought me with. We, uh, we'll probably get into that at some point. All the different elements of the art that resonates deep with us, especially in real raw and difficult moments. And she and I ended up meeting by doing Les Mis together. Um, the other thing visually that I thought was really interesting, I don't think we've ever brought, I think you know this, but I took Bob Ross painting lessons. I literally drove two hours one way in Arkansas in the hills to take Bob Ross painting lessons from a guy who knew Bob. And I what? did that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I have paintings at the house that are Bob Ross style, wet on wet paintings. Oh, that I literally, God. as I was rehabbing um, myself, going through radiation the last time in 2012, I took. That's what I did. I it, never it, knew that. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Mm -hmm. I totally did. That's such. A, that's <laughs> so interesting because I did want to talk about that about 
mm-hmm. about being able to use different arts and finding like what mm. works for you at that moment. I know, right. uh, and I want to talk about how the two of you met doing theater. I know it's something that Stanzi loved, but then kind of went away from, and because it like wasn't it wasn't doing what it needed to do for you. So, you know, you're an amazing singer. And I think that's really important. I think it's a really important thing to talk about of mm. finding what mm. works for you and what resonates with you and, and being okay with trying and maybe not being as great as you're hoping to be at something or being great at it and being like, yeah, but that's not how mm. I want to express myself. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of one of those things where, um, who was it that said it? Um, was it Dizzy Gillespie or Miles Davis? Like, what kind of music is there? There's just good music, you know? And I think that's true uh, with regards to, regardless of genre. Um, I can go over to the Kerrville Folk Festival and sit there at the new artist thing and literally be moved to tears, no different than I can on the barricade, you know, in Les Mis or something like that. I do feel like different pieces and different genres and different avenues um, resonate differently with different people and bring different aspects to it. I think she and I both would say, I mean, I love theater. I love, I like doing that. I think it's a remarkable medium to be able to tell a story and it's super, super moving, but so is sitting here in my, my, uh, my house playing a house concert or a garden concert for 15 people. Mm-hmm. I think, I think authenticity is something that kind of just kind of shines through, uh, regardless of how it's, um, um, the direct the direct medium. Nonetheless, um, I think we all have different talents and abilities, and there are certain things that maybe we're better at, or maybe that we kind of take to more easily than others. But for me, it's just about making moving pieces of art that move people and resonate inside of me and with the people I'm communing with at the time, no matter what. I don't care if I'm or on stage at Six Flags at a local theater or you know sitting with my guitar at the Pearl. And we know that different art, like arts engagement, different mediums bring out different things. Mm. We use different parts of ourselves when we mm. interact with different mediums. Mm. Um, and so sometimes I think certain parts of you need m- more of this other mm. thing. So, mm. and for me, you know, I studied music in, in college. So there, there was this tendency to, <laughs> to perfectionism and a lot of judgment <laughs> around really? around singing. I know, right? It's shocking. <laughs> around singing. And so sometimes sometimes singing was expressive and was an expressive release, but a lot of times it wasn't. It was more right. of a, a technical exercise mm. and um, experimentation, which had its own benefits, but wasn't truly just an, like, a raw expression sometimes that I needed. So sometimes going outside of my main art form where I didn't have as much preconceived notions or as much judgment around gave me that freedom. And so I actually Mm. started, like I started taking dance lessons after college. I was Mm. the only person in my ballet class and I did not care. Um, And I just found a lot of a, a freedom in physical expression in dance that was very different than what I found in voice. And then visual arts, you know, there's there's a way that, man, it taps into your subconscious like nothing mm. else. And so I love like visual journaling. Sometimes when I'm blocked, I like just need to get out my sketchbook and it doesn't matter what it looks like, but I'm so, going to make, you know, I need to get out whatever these images are that are that are that are in my subconscious that are keeping me blocked. 
and writing has always been a cons consistent thing for me. It's just mm. the literary arts of really getting stream of consciousness, getting my thoughts mm. out, and externalizing them and helping to process my emotions and thoughts that way. Um, so there's so many, I I'm a fan of like all mediums and I need them each for different things, I guess. Mm. And there's a lot of gray there in between those mediums too. What's so interesting mm -hmm. about that too, speaking about like, and you do a good job with poetry and writing and some of those things. And you know this by performing with me many, many times. To me, there's in, in vocalizing and singing, there's a stream of consciousness that comes with me with singing. There's mm -hmm. some times that I don't really know what I'm going to do per se. And you have always done a good job of following me <laughs> when I may do something totally different. It's something that is very raw and real and very present. So without getting into mm -hmm. like, that's a, it's a huge one for me. It's an anchor to the present moment and the mm -hmm. create the creative magic, the creative, if that's the right word, without sounding too cliche, that ma that art can bring us to in any given moment or every moment. Mm. Was there a moment at all during any of your um, your treatment or diagnosis that you stopped creating? Ooh, that's a great question. And, thank you. And what <laughs> what did that feel like if you did? Mm. Maybe, maybe you didn't. There, I mean, while Rob thinks about that, there, there were definitely dry times in my life. And I don't even think just during treatment. I mean, I even think <laughs> even this past year. <laughs> so this past year when, when um, the pandemic hit and we couldn't go into the hospital more and I wasn't singing every week in the hospital and all of my voice students were online and we weren't singing together in person anymore, I, without even realizing it, I, I stopped singing. But there was, um, someone asked me to sing um, for their like socially distanced wedding several, several weeks back, like several months ago. And I had to start practicing because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm realizing I haven't sung in a while and I'm really rusty. <laughs> and so I had to start practicing again. And after my first like long practice session, I literally came like dancing and skipping out of my music. <laughs> and Jeff, my husband, Jeff, he's like, are you happier now? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you realize you stopped singing at the beginning of the pandemic, right? And I was like, I didn't, I just didn't even realize that I had just totally let go of that. And I know, and this is, I know all the science behind it that, you know, singing and listening to music and engaging with music boosts endorphins and oh. you know, makes us feel better. Like I know all these things, but I just had stopped. You know, I think there has been times like that where I've just forgotten and kind of come away from it. And then when mm. I rediscover it, I'm like, yay, <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> I think that happened to a ton of artists, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Everyone was like, all right, this is going to be over in, in three months, and I'm going to come back with the best album of my life, or the best comedy special, or the best book, and I'm going to like be super creative. And then month nine, we were like, well, this is boring, and I don't want to do this anymore. And then we all kind of gave up a little because it was so mm. stressful. And so, and then you needed, it felt like, Everybody needs that hibernation time where you kind of go into yourself and you do that. And I think we had a lot too much of that. <laughs> and so then we were like, there's a lot of hibernation. And now how do I get out of that? And then it turns out, oh, it's art. This is how you get out of it. Mm. Yeah. Start it again. I think so. I think for me, yeah, there have definitely been times just given the, you know, the condition that I was in, I wasn't able to do it as well as I could at other times. Um, 
I had stomatitis quite bad. So those are the ulcers that go all the way down your throat to your alimentary canal. And I actually had written a co-written a song. I don't, I know I've never shared this before. Um, co-written a song many years ago, this is back in 2005 that they were doing a session of at a really pretty nice studio. And I went when the song was being recorded and I couldn't sing the part because I was sick. Uh, mm. Because I mean, I was a bald guy standing there, um, trying to tell them what to do. And as they played the chord progression and all this stuff, and I couldn't sing the own stuff that I'd help write. Um, and they were super kind and thoughtful and compassionate given my circumstance. So there have been times where like physically I couldn't do it. Nonetheless, I will say this, and this is the way it's been more often than not. And I've been through chemo four different times, most recently, just this past over the last 12 months, this last time <laughs> I was music, even no matter how I felt, um, I, I didn't redo this for anybody else. I did share a few things on YouTube that some people saw, just some nice videos, I guess, and things. But I do it for myself just to be present, to kind of tap into the magic that is expression in the present moment and feel empowered. I did that almost every day this last time if I could. Even if I felt really sick, I went up to the office where I'm sitting now and got out my guitar or whatever and just kind of did the best I could because I know I needed to. There were other times where I just listened to somebody else do it, like when I had the Lay Miz thing. <laughs> I just wanted to listen to um, Leia Salonga and Alfie Bo and everybody else like serenade me, and that was quite good, but I would prefer to be doing the singing. So there are times when, when I'm doing that as well. Um, but yeah, there have been times physically where I couldn't do it or I just felt so sick. But I've always tried. I've just needed it for any number of reasons to help bring me the present mo moment magic that it can kind of give. Mm. Um, and this last time I did it like, wow, these recordings I make, I'll never share with other people other than my family. But it, a huge, huge part of my own um, way of dealing with the circumstance, for sure. And Stanzi you talked, uh, touched on that a little bit with visual journal journaling. You guys mm. you yeah. are both performers. And so you're always out performing for other people to, to get a reaction from other people. How are you using the arts for yourself hmm. in your alone time? And I, and I, I know as a performer, like part of performing for audiences is helpful for you. And it's, it's that escape too, but what do you do for yourself? So for me, that is a really big part of it. I, I, I hope to feel like that when I perform at least um, if I'm doing justice to the way I want to perceive whatever it is I'm doing, I would do it the same for two people that I would for 2000. Um, and that's the way the art is for me. Cause there's so much of the stuff that I do personally that no one will ever hear, but it is a big part of just my expression of, of being alive and being present and being thankful. It's just goes through that filter for me. Um, some artists have it with regards to obviously the visual arts or painting or writing or po poems that will never be, never be read. Um, I feel like for me, it's always been the, my expression has been through like music. I do that just constantly. Um, and I hopefully when I get to perform in front of other people, that resonates in how that performance is too, because what I'm doing for them, I'm doing for myself. Um, mm -hmm. the, commu the communion I'm having with them is the one that is my kind of conduit to um, the present moment that, that I think music and art in general can kind of provide. So when I'm doing that, I don't do it any different. Now, I may try some runs or I may try some kind of a, something different musically by myself than I would with other people, but the source the source, the, the, the humble, hopefully non-egoic, not needing the glory kind of source is just thankful to be able to, to be there with the music. 
Mm. Just thankful to be able to be there with the art. And I can, I can fully say that, yeah, it's just such a big part of my own personal experience of being alive. I'm glad anytime I can share it with just myself or anybody else too. And Rob does that better than any performer I've ever known. Like he truly is like totally connected and totally himself when it's just the two of us jamming out or we're performing. Like he, like, it's just, ah, I love it. I love watch. It's amazing oh. to watch. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, mom. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> she's fangirling over you right now. <laughs> I do want to talk about your connection, the two of you. You met, like we were talking about before, uh, in, in theater, how you knew nothing of each other before this. And I want to talk about that connection that you both have made and where that friendship has brought the two of you. We had this shared experience and it kind of morphed into us kind of forming this this duo band yeah. and we just kind of loved singing together and so we've gotten we were able to perform at several cancer events we even traveled to like new york and some other mm -hmm. places um uh with survivor c-e-r it's a it's an organization yeah. so shout out um, for, Survivor, for Tamika and, and Survivor, they support um, women who've experienced cervical cancer. And we ended up recording like a Christmas EP. It's super fun. I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I hope we get to play more at different points. I know. For sure. I know. I miss it's been, it. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while now, you know, it's been a good while. Um, <sighs> But hopefully that'll happen. But it was super cool. Yeah, so so awesome. Yeah. No, it's really fun. Rob, as someone who you've been diagnosed, you've had cancer three times now. My dad yeah. was first diagnosed with cancer in 1992 and has had it at least once a year ever since. <laughs> and I, I, I ask him, is it something, and, I, and this is a question for Stanzi too, is it something that you think about every day <laughs> or is it something that sort of is, is it, something that's just part of your life now like how do you define mm. how do you define it now without it taking over your life you can't obviously allow how that yeah happen yeah that's and that's an interesting way to have to kind of think about it and i can only say kind of how it works with for me and and kind of how i interact with others um yeah for me i i know it's a part of my life um now i've had it so many times and at the staging that it's been that we now know that mostly maybe like your dad i don't know the exact circumstance i have probably not been cancer free very often in the last 17 years um with regards to micrometastasis and all of those things and even now as i sit here um i'm not cancer free sitting here um so i know now that it's um it's just kind of part of the way my life is and the way that my body is Interestingly enough, though, and this is kind of a work in progress, I think, and we all kind of wake up every day with the opportunity and Costanza knows I often use the phrase win the day, which is kind of my personal mantra. I kind of accept it the way it is and I embrace it um, as a part of my experience and my journey. And it's not going to keep me from winning the day, regardless of, of that being part of my life, of that being a variable um, that I have to deal with. 
that's just another mountain that I'm going to have to deal with. And, and I'm okay with that. Um, I embrace it as an opportunity to maybe relate to others better, to have greater compassion for the world at large and the different maladies and circumstances that people go through. This just happens to be my circumstance. The, I like the phrase, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And maybe my grit, my determination or my compassion or my love is made greater because I have to deal with cancer. So it's something that I understand that I embrace that I don't run away from, but I try to embrace as just part of my circumstance and use it the best I can use it, use it as well as I can to uh, live as well as I can one day at a time. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. I mean, for me, it's been, I mean, it's been, I mean, it's been so long since I've been off treatment. It's I've haven't had, haven't had chemo for 18 years. Hmm. Uh, I've been off chemo for 18 years. Um, and you would think like, Oh, it's like way in the past. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes, it is in the past. But it also, you know, cancer is this gift that keeps mm. on giving. And right. especially with blood cancers, you know, the, the, the treatment is rough. Like I had 130 weeks of chemo and that yeah. changes your body a little oh. bit. And, and even just being a survivor of trauma, like I'm a mm. trauma survivor. And that sure. affects how my amygdala forms at a, a very young age right. and that, that affected my that affects my nervous system so i'm very mm. i'm very sensitive to to stress and my body will just shut down mm. like i will go kind of like like it'll shut down it's it's not pretty um and so i'm very grateful um for my husband whom i'm very reliant on when <laughs> I have these, I have these periods where I just shut down and he totally, he knows it happens and he takes care of things. He, you know, takes care of me <laughs> and mm. picks up the slack. And, you know, that's, he, he knew that kind of going in when we met as a young, you know, young couple, that there was an element of our marriage that he was going to be a caregiver. Mm. Um, and it sucks. It sucks when that comes up. Cause it's, you know, it mm. feels like, you're a burden on your loved ones. Mm. Um, but it also has made us have to stay so close as a couple too, to, and can have to communicate on a mm. level that maybe other young couples don't. Um, and he can usually tell when I'm headed for a shutdown before I can. <laughs> and he tries to like head it off. Like, Hey, you really should probably go to bed early tonight. Like you had a very stressful day. Do I listen to him? No, mm. I'm still working on that. <laughs> she doesn't listen to her work husband either. Uh. I don't, I know. I'm sorry, Richard. I just go, go, go advance, advance, yes. advance. <laughs> and I think I, I'm very inspired by Rob's perspective and, you know, I think he's more mentally tough in this area than I am. Um, and I, I draw a lot of inspiration and wisdom from his perspective. Th thank you. And, and I, I will say likewise, though, Costanza has been a great example of being able to go in difficult environments, not, you know, to talk about mm. what Hearts Need Art does. And, and I've been very transparent with her about the difficulties <laughs> that I have in, in certain environments and how raw and how difficult it may be for me. Um, to be able to go in some places and, and, and that's really quite difficult. So she's been a great example. Um, 
nonetheless, like Costanza said, in having like physical issues or, or other trauma issues and those things, we always talk about the new normal and that's really become a, a big thing with COVID and what the new normal is for those of us who've, you know, had, you know, very serious illness or as a, as a young person had cancer and all of those things for me, as someone who's had it so many times, I feel like I'm having to recalibrate all the time. Um, mm -hmm. what my, what my, what my new normal is, I mean, how yep. bad, I mean, obviously I, I'm missing some bones and I don't have full usage of some areas in my body and my lungs don't work completely well. Every time you have this recalibration that takes place, this new normal to be like, okay, this is baseline what it is now. What do I do with it now? How do I make the best of it? How do I keep the best perspective of, as I can without getting too caught up in the what if scenarios of future or the what ifs that can incredibly, you know, come to anybody who's, who's dealing with something like this? How do I control what I can control right in front of me right now without getting so tied up and so scared about the uncertainties or the what ifs that naturally come naturally come when you're dealing with living with cancer and the arts okay. and the arts the arts happen to be an anchor for me to be able to find that what i can control what i can appreciate what beauty mm -hmm. i can find in the now for sure oh mm -hmm. what is the last artistic thing you both did i, I did all the time i i know <laughs> I played with my baby JJ on the piano earlier. I think for mm. singers, I think for singers, it's hard to know like where it ends and begins. What's work? What's working? Like, Rob playing? is always singing. Like we're, I think we're both always singing. Rob even always. more than <laughs> more than I do. Yeah, like when I was singing with Journey in the car an hour ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, yeah, when I was singing, when I was singing Harmony Above Sting during his song a minute ago, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He's not exaggerating. He can do that. <laughs> like, like cons constantly, you know, constantly expressing yeah. yourself, yourself through that for sure. I think maybe that's a, um, a call out to Sting. If Sting wants to come <laughs> on and have a battle with you on this right. program, yeah. we can, we like can that. set that up. I'm pretty sure he's listening. Right I swear. Right. Um, if you're listening to this, you need to go to heartsneedart.org and click on the podcast link to just, um, look at Rob's beard. I cannot end this conversation <laughs> without talking about that beard, Rob. All right. So, and I think I showed you the picture earlier. My hair started coming back in uh, this time, July. And I just kind of said, okay, I'm just going to let it go again the way I've done it before. And this is what we have now. <laughs> and it's really curly. It can really be about that long. So it go, it goes up. So... Anyway. This is about so when I met him the first time, he was he was in the process of mm -hmm. growing his hair out. I don't think he would cut it since you had lost it and it started so, uh, going back. So so my hair is only this long right now, and I haven't had a haircut in fifteen years. I've lost my hair four times. So every <laughs> I think like eleven years or something. So so I go bald and then I grow it again. I've cut the beard before, it would be ZZ top level, but um yeah so i haven't had a haircut in so many years this is me growing it out since yeah since july yeah, but you can do the beard so that's what you're concentrating on yeah and i plan on you know i'm gonna go as long as i can with this too we'll see where it goes but but this thing is yeah i don't know my doctor i do the virtual visits with my oncologist and yeah we're both we're both mutually you know impressed yeah it's pretty good right now <laughs> it's very impressive Thanks, people, man. Look how great. I, I love that there's just like a big patch at the front it's spurs i'm a big spurs fan you know i love the silver and black los spurs yeah right. 
You did it on purpose, obviously. Right, right, right. Yeah. If people want to connect with both of you, how best can they do that? Oh, for me, I'm. Uh, I do have an Instagram and a, and a Facebook, all that stuff. Rob Shaver. Uh, on either on either of those is good. Instagram or Facebook, either one. And you can find me at Constanza Raider. Um, you can find my um, or you can find my website ConstanzaRaider.com. R Super easy to spell. R O E D E. Constanza Raider. Super easy to spell. We will put that in the show notes. Please don't try to do that while you're driving because you no. will not be able to type that in. No. Um, any last words from either of you? I want to thank you so much for spending an hour with me. I really appreciate it. Well, I just wanted to say um, to Rob, Rob was so um, inspirational for me and such an encourager to me to start HeartSeed Art in the beginning. Like he was right there with me like, <laughs> Yes, this needs to be this needs to be a thing in San Antonio. Yes, we need to bring more artists into the hospital. Um, and he helped with the initial fundraising campaign. Like we we did music together to like raise money and yeah. and so Rob, I mean, just thank you for for all of that. Like there's oh. we probably wouldn't be where we are without without you. So that makes that makes me feel so good. And the thing that I I really appreciate too is, is you've been able to do something that I haven't been able to do for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and I appreciate that so much and, and what you guys are able to do consistently and at a level that's really making a difference. Um, it makes me feel so good to know that I had some small part to play in what you guys are being able to provide. And because of any number of circumstances, I'm not able to do it at the level you guys are. And I'm just so moved by what you do and, and everybody and how hard they work. I mean, just honestly, for me to be a small part of, mm -hmm. of what you guys are doing makes me, oh my goodness, makes me so happy. At the same time, I hope we get to play more music together. I'll just be, yes. I'll, just tell you, I'll just tell you the truth. I mean, I hope, I hope we, I hope we're kind of able to do that. And if anybody is out, out there listening, obviously you guys are able to do it every day. Just continue to make art, get outside, stay present, find that anchor to the magic that is the present moment day at a time through what way you need to do it and the arts is a wonderful way to find that connection. Mm. I think for sure. Rob, our growth is directly correlated to your the growth of your beard. Whoa! So nice. the longer is... your beard gets, the bigger we're going to get. So please don't ever shave it off or I might lose my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dumbledore, Dumbledore style. Yeah. I love it. Thank you both so much. Will do. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's it. Thanks, everyone. We love you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader, and produced by Ivan Briones. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartsneedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. 
This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.